The Bible is rich in information it's given to help us live. The question I suppose I'm asking at the beginning is, does the evidence of your life demonstrate that the Bible was helping you to live your life? This is um, going to be the final message in this series, Fundamentals of Faith, for now. Because I've still got a list of topics that I haven't quite got to. And so we're going to put a comma in the series, and, and we might come back to it later in the year. Today, I want to talk about the Holy Spirit. And my prayer today, as we unpack the Scriptures, but as we also unpack the patterns God's given us for living is that what I'd love for you to see today is that the Holy Spirit has always wanted to be a part of your life and that he's made a way to be part of your life and it's shown to us in the scriptures as we read the narrative of the Bible. So today what I want you to do is I want you to come with me and I want you to join the dots. I want you to join the dots. Recently I had an epiphany wasn't actually a positive epiphany, um, but isn't it funny how the Lord sometimes shows us things that aren't positive uh, in order to reveal things, reveal things that He wants to make positive. And uh, Kathy and I were driving over to Tauranga to visit my dad, and as um, sometimes we do in the car, we listen to a leadership podcast, or if she gets to choose the music, we're listening to uh, Christmas carols. Uh, but this day, I was in charge, and we were listening to a leadership podcast. And uh, this particular person was speaking about the need for leaders to find rest, to re-energize, to refresh, to, to refill. And um, one of the ways that you can do that is to have a hobby. And my epiphany is I realized that I don't have a hobby. Like for me, work is a hobby. Like if I'm not working on this, I'm working on something else. Uh, so, so Kathy and I are having a long conversation about that and hope to fix it because as we talked about life, we realized that she's got lots of hobbies. She collects hobbies. Like if you look in the cupboards in the lounge or the cupboards in the office or the cupboards in the bedroom, you'll find her hobbies. And they're all in process, in mid-process of some kind, whether it's wool or craft or, or paper or other, there's hobbies. And a recent one she started is something called Join the Dots. She literally bought a book where you take a pen and you join the dots. Does anyone else remember doing that a few summers ago? Right, well, apparently it's therapeutic. It's therapeutic. Uh, it's hard. She was getting Grace to help her the other day because it's difficult to join the dots. But, you know, isn't that so true with the Bible? Sometimes it's hard to join the dots. Sometimes it's hard to look at the Scripture and go, well, how does that connect in my life? And today what I'm hoping to do is I'm hoping to join the dots for you. And in doing that, I want to point to the scripture that Paul writes in Colossians in chapter 2. He says this. He says on the screen, all these things. He's talking about the patterns that God's given us for worshiping God. He says, all of these things are mere shadows. They're cast before what was to come. But the substance is Christ. Now, this is a key thing for us this morning. Sometimes what we see in our lives is just shadows. They're cast 
You know, if, if you, if you um, visit Paris, as we did one year, and we, we stood in the shadow of the Eiffel Tower, I can promise you the shadow was there, but we weren't looking at the shadow, were we? We were looking what cast the shadow. And too many people in their walk of faith spend their lives looking at the shadow and wondering why they don't get the substance. Paul says the substance is Christ. Let us not be deceived by worshipping shadows. Let us not be deceived by living a life based on shadows. Because if you look at a signpost, or if you look at the shadow of the signpost, you might end up in two different destinations. What's the point? I want us to see the patterns God established for us. And when we look at the patterns, we see Jesus. Let us look for the substance in our lives. So I want to join the dots. I want to join these dots. I want to explain what these dots are. And I've just used some simple dots to make a point because sometimes imagery helps with memory. So we, want, we don't want to just process the information through our ears and listen to it and go, oh, that was interesting. We want to process it into our memory, into our subconscious in order that it would become part of our lives. And so these dots represent the Jewish festivals. Well, the beginning of them at least. And there are seven Jewish festivals. If you look across the top line in the imagery there, you're just going to see four dots. Because today I just want to point to, very briefly, the first four festivals which are called the spring festivals. These are moments of celebration in the calendar that God established, and I'm going to show you where he established them. He put them into place for a reason, and I want you to see the reason. There are also three festivals which are called the fall festival. So remember, the Jewish people were agricultural. Everything they did was based off the land, which meant they were dependent on the seasons, which meant their life was structured around sowing and harvest, reaping, and the seasons in the natural. Well, so too God established spring feasts and fall, meaning autumn feasts. We're just going to look at the first four. Two categories here. The first one we call, I've just given it a, a code, P-O. What do you think P-O stands for? Passover. That's exactly right. So very briefly, the feast of Passover is what we celebrated, the dinner we had before Easter. This is the first of the spring feasts, but here's the point. God established this. You can look, actually, you can look at all these in Leviticus 23. For those of you that like to read Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 23, God spells all these out in one chapter for you. But in the Passover, in the celebration of the Passover, the Jews paused, they gathered together, and they celebrated what God had done, and they gave testimony to their faith in God that he would do it again. That's the whole point of giving testimony to God. So they celebrated the passing over. So the story goes, they were in Egypt, they were under bondage and slavery for 400 years, and a whole bunch of stuff happened, but the short version of the story is that God said, take a lamb, a perfect lamb, and take its blood and paint it on the doorposts of your home. For this very evening, the spirit of death will pass over Egypt, and I will strike dead the firstborn son in every home, except those that have the blood of the lamb. And God's people heard, and God's people were obedient, and they, they took the blood, they painted the door, and the spirit of death passed over them and did not result in death. 
This was the catalyst for them being released from slavery. So what they do every year is they get together and celebrate this. They'd have a joyous festival. They'd have a special meal which we celebrate before Easter. The blood of the lamb is what saved people. It's a mark that reminds us of deliverance out of bondage, out of slavery. That was the feast, the first feast. The second feast, you can see on my little graphic here, I've given the code UB. What do we think UB stands for? Yeah, you're all saying it. Unleavened bread. Exactly right. Well done. So this is the second feast. These kind of run together quite closely. It's the second feast. It happens the same week because they're all together. And it's the spring feast. Now, my purpose here is not to give you in-depth explanation of these. I'm skipping to get to today. We remember the readiness of the people to flee from their bondage. God said to them in Exodus, get your bread, but don't put yeast in it. You don't have time for the bread to rise. You must get ready to flee slavery. Get rid of all yeast in your home. And so they did. And then then what they do in the celebration of the feast is they have seven days where they remove all yeast from their house and they eat unleavened bread, bread that has not risen. To the Jewish people, yeast signified defilement, uh, sin, Un, being unclean or impure and therefore unacceptable. So they would take that yeast out of their home. So we can remember that the removal of the yeast also symbolizes the removal of sin. It's a good thing to remember. During the same week, they have a third festival. And it happens that week, and it's got a code on the screen for FF. What do you think FF stands for? First Fruits. That's right. This is the feast or the festival of first fruits. To God, the first of anything is incredibly special. God likes to uh, be honored as the one who has blessed us. And so the firstborn is really important. So, for instance, in Jewish uh, tradition, the firstborn son receives a double portion of inheritance. But he also receives the responsibility of looking after the family. There's a special setting apart. Um, God says um, many times in Scripture, bring the first of your harvest to me as a thanksgiving offering. In Deuteronomy chapter 26, I just got this one, I'll read. Deuteronomy 26 verse 10, Behold, Lord says, I have brought the first fruits of the land Oh, this is Moses praying. I bought the first fruits of the land which you, God, have given me. Set it before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. You shall rejoice in every good thing which the Lord has given you and your house. This is the, 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 the commitment that God's people have made to say, God, you give us everything, but we're honoring you with the first of it because this is important in your kingdom. What you honor before God determines your heart. So these three feasts, they ran really close together, and they usually blended into one week-long party. Now, if you remember when Jesus was in Jerusalem, and the people were waving branches and putting out things, they were celebrating, they were all in Jerusalem to celebrate the feasts. They'd come together. And then we'll look at the 
fourth feast, which has the label WP. We'll look at what that stands shortly, but before that, I want us to join the dots. And so I had to draw some lines because these dots are all joined together. And you can join them any way you like. This is the way I chose to join them. But here's my point. What God was establishing in the festivals is really vital to you today. It's incredibly important that you understand these as part of your understanding of how God works. Because these feasts weren't just an excuse for the Jews to have a party. These feasts were shadows. They were shadows that were cast before people, but the substance was, what did I say before? Paul's words. The substance was Christ. So these festivals point to Jesus. And here's a really quick summary. The Passover feast, where they shed the blood of a perfect lamb and put it on a doorpost, painting up and down and then across ways, was pointing to the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Passover lamb. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7, For you are clean because of Christ, our Passover lamb. He has been sacrificed for us. So that feast pointed to the death of Jesus Christ. The unleavened bread, the festival of the unleavened bread, having no yeast in the home, points to the burial of Jesus Christ as he went into the grave. When we are baptized in water, we say we are baptized into the death of Christ in order that we would rise with Christ again. John um, writes Jesus' words referring to the bread. He says, Jesus writes, says this in John chapter 6, I alone am the living bread that has come to you from heaven. Eat this bread and you will live forever. The living bread I give you is my body, which I'll offer as a sacrifice so that all may live. It's pointing to who Jesus was. The feast of the first fruits points to the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus was the first to rise from the dead for eternity. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, The truth is, Christ is risen from the dead as the first fruit of a great resurrection harvest. He was the first of many. A few verses later, 1 Corinthians 15, 23, each one in proper order, Christ the first fruit, and then all those who belong to him. So he was the first one that would be raised up. So this feast of first fruits is, is a celebration that what Jesus has made available is available for us. And then we come to the fourth feast, which is what I want to talk about today. The Feast of Pentecost, or the Festival of Weeks, it was called in the Old Testament. This points to the coming of the Holy Spirit. So what is established in the Jewish calendar is a festival of weeks. And what, Jesus, what God said to them in the Scriptures, He said, I want you to count seven weeks plus one day. What does that add up to? Seven times seven plus one is 50. It's where the word Pentecost comes from because it means 50. But this is a celebration and it's honoring the fact that when they departed from Egypt, they went through the Red Sea. God miraculously delivered, saved them from death, saved them from sin, bondage, and delivered them into new life of freedom through the Red Sea. 50 days later, he met them at Mount Sinai. 
50 days later, Moses went up the mountain and spent time face to face with the Lord. 50 days later was when the fire came from heaven and, and, and people were trembling before God as God gave Moses the law, the Torah, the pattern of living. And as it says on the screen there, God has provided the law, the scriptures, the Torah refers to the first five books. He provides this law to guide his people to live in community and freedom. God gave these patterns and they were a shadow. Shadow that point to something of substance. Shadow that shows us who Jesus really is. God provided his law so that he could, his people could be guided in how to live together in freedom and in community. One of the, the um, things that the Jews have that we don't is they have some traditional writings that have been gathered over time which are uh, a form of history that capture the oral narrative teaching of the rabbis. And so one of those books is called the Midrash, and it's uh, handed down and it's written, and it's got accounts of what happened historically as per oral tradition, but it's not the Bible. So you can't say it's the Word of God, but it's like a history book. And one of the rabbis wrote about the day where God turned up at Mount Sinai. Moses is up there. God's giving him the commandments. The fire comes down. The people are trembling and shaking. And the Midrash says that they witnessed the fire touching the heads of every person present. This historical account that's written by the rabbis says that the people who were present heard God speak in many languages. Can't prove it's true or not, but the Jews have been reading these books for centuries. What's the point? The original event at Mount Sinai, was celebrated by the Jews at the Feast of Weeks. 50 days later, come together and celebrate God. It's the season of the harvest of new things. God turns up with fire and touches every single person to guide them, look at the screen, to guide them to live together in freedom and community. What's the point of the Holy Spirit coming? To guide us to live in freedom and to live in community. And I want us to look at this. There's only a few verses in Acts chapter 2. I'm going to do it quickly, and then I'm going to give you some stuff later in the week because I just don't have time to share everything this morning. Acts chapter 2 is the story. So I open the service with Acts chapter 1. Ten days later, we pick it up in Acts chapter 2. So when I read earlier, Jesus says, wait, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. You will be baptized in the Holy Spirit, Jesus said. The Jews are looking at the calendar, and they're like, well, pretty soon, like in 10 days, the Festival of Weeks is coming. I have no doubt in my mind that the Jews knew when the Holy Spirit was turning up. The Festival of the Harvest, the celebration, when everybody would be witness to what God was doing. No doubt in my mind. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. 
And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing, mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and each one sat on top of them. Meaning the fire, not the person. They sat, the fire sat on top of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. And there were many dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. I'll read the rest later. So I want to look at just the first four verses and make some observations for us. I love the picture that's painted in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. In the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. I love the picture that this gives me because it's of how we're supposed to operate together. To be of one accord means to be in one heart, one mind, one spirit. It means to be in unity, to be, as we would say, singing off the same song sheet or reading off the same page. To be of one accord means they were all aligned together, focused in the same direction. And they were all in one place because they didn't have Zoom. Didn't have Facebook Live. Couldn't watch the replay later or listen to it in the car. They had to go. Had to be. Had to be with. And I think there's significance in the being with. Well, what were they doing? It doesn't say. Well, it does if you read Acts 1 verse 14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. They were all in one place praying together. I can't stress this enough. It is a significant thing in this season for us to come together, to pray together, to be in unity together. I can't stress it enough. It's vital for what God is about to do that we come together in prayer to be with one accord. I'm going to say it again. It is vital to us as the body of Christ to come together in prayer, to be in the same place together in prayer, that would be in the same heart with each other, that we would be in unity one with each other, pointing in the same direction as each other in order that we would see God do what God has promised he would do. I can't stress it enough. We have three prayer meetings a week that you can join us in. There are prayers that happen outside of that as well. Go for a walk in a park and pray with a friend. Meet in a coffee house like I did with someone this week and pray for each other. Get together, pray together, to be in one accord. It's vital that we position ourselves in readiness for what God is going to do. Acts chapter 2 says there was a sound from heaven. The simplicity of that to me just says, well, there's no doubt where the move of God comes from. It comes from God. We can't make it. We can't manufacture it. We can't plan it. We can't schedule it. We can't put it on a run sheet. We can't make it convenient for ourselves. God is in charge of the timing. God is in charge of how it looks and how it happens, but we need to be in the right place. God will do a move as only God can do, and it's not up to us to define it or time it. We just need to be ready for it. Acts chapter 2 verse 3 says, There was an appeared to them tongues of fire. What I love about the picture of the, the baptism of fire is it reminds me of Mount Sinai. The presence of God consumed the mountain, signifying that God was with them. And when they departed, you read the story of Exodus. When they departed, it went before them as a pillar of fire. 
Fire is a symbol of God's presence amongst us. To be baptized in fire is to have the presence of God upon us and in us. But notice what it also says in verse 3. Resting on each one. Not just resting on the minister. Sometimes we joke and say it only rests on the first three rows of church. But it's not true. Well, it's not the way God... You're in row four. (laughs) You can move. I'm joking. But what's the point? It's supposed to rest on each one. Not just then, but now. I also made an interesting observation when I was um, preparing this the week, during the week, or last week it was, um, what I want you to notice is that they were in the upper room praying together. There is always a private baptism before a public manifestation. What happens in your prayer closet or your worship time in the car determines what happens publicly. There's always a private baptism before a public manifestation. Your effectiveness in front of others is limited by your dedication when no one's watching except the one who matters. What does that say to me? I just need to increase my time with him. I need to make it count. Not that I can earn his love, but I can show my dedication. Please find your prayer place whether it's an armchair with your rug and your puppy, whether it's, a, it's the front of your car and you have a worship party. Paul, I know, spends a lot of time in his truck. Dude's got worship music playing, podcast playing, spending time with God between appointments. That's his prayer closet. doesn't matter what it looks like. Just make sure you have one. And finally, the whole point of pointing to this is that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And I want to dig a bit deeper. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, you know me, I kind of went and looked at some of the words and I wondered what they meant. And so I put it on the screen for you. There's the Greek word that's used by Luke when he writes in Greek the history of the Acts of the Apostles. He uses the word pimplimi, which is a Greek word to mean filled. It signifies a one-time occurrence, something that happened in a moment. It speaks about something being empowered for a work of service. It speaks about something being accomplished or full. Several other times that we read this word in the Gospels. There was a time, do you remember, when Peter was fishing? I think it's Luke 5. And Jesus says, what did he say, what did he say to Peter? Simon it was then. Put your net on the other side, and it says the boat was filled. Same word. What's a fishing boat supposed to have in it? It's the purpose of the fishing boat, isn't it? It was filled with something it was made for. There's another story. Jesus tells of a wedding, and it was filled with guests. They turned up from far and wide, filled, pimplimi. What's the purpose of a wedding? People coming to celebrate. It was filled so that its purpose could be accomplished. John chapter 1 We read John the Apostle, uh, the beloved, writing about John the Baptist. He's the guy that wore a strange outfit, you remember? It says John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit. Same word, pimplimi. Why did he say that? Well, he was filled with the Spirit to accomplish his purpose. 
What was the purpose of John the Baptist? He says, I'm not the Messiah. I come to point the way to the Messiah, to prepare the way for him. So the whole point of being filled pimplimi with the Holy Spirit is this, that we would be filled up in order that we would be able to accomplish the purpose God has set before us. As it says on the screen, you are filled with the Holy Spirit as a finished work, to be empowered for a purpose, which is your work of service. This first instance of being filled with the Holy Spirit is vital. You know, when you get, uh, when you get saved, we would say, you know, when you receive Jesus as your Savior, however that happens for you, you get the Holy Spirit as a deposit. But there's a mark, there's a moment that happens, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 19, a whole bunch of people turn up to chat. Apollos was at Corinth. Paul, having passed through, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard as whether there is a Holy Spirit. Well, they didn't have the Bible, did they? The Facebook to check out what everyone else was doing. He said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, we were baptized into John's baptism. Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, that's water, saying to people they should believe on him who would come after, that is Christ. So a baptism into water is our confession of our baptism into Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Paul laid hands on them in the Holy Spirit, and they spoke with tongues. It's important that we understand this idea that God's given us the Holy Spirit as a gift to guide us to live in freedom and community, but he's given it that we'd be empowered for a work of service. We have a function. Some preachers say you get the unction so that you can function. That means the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes to fill you to accomplish the purpose that God gave you in order that you would do things that he's prepared for you to do. It's the whole point of the next series, Supernatural. The lifestyle we're supposed to live. Second reason that we're filled with the Holy Spirit is for personal growth. Uh, my apologies, I'm not going to explain this because I haven't got time. So what I'm going to do is, um, and Carla can commit me to this, by the end of the week I will prepare this slide and the next slide uh, with an audio so that you can hear what the explanation is. I just don't want to miss the main point, which is the next one. But the first point is you're baptised with the Holy Spirit. The second point is that you're filled for growth. And if you look at the screen, for those of you that don't want to listen to the next one, uh, you're filled with the Holy Spirit daily through relationship to be developed into maturity. Holy Spirit comes to grow you up. Secondly, and I, I will explain this more in the, in the video this week, uh, Paul writes in Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Same thing. It's the same context as being filled with the Spirit. Exactly the same narrative that he writes to the Ephesians. And it says the process of maturity requires connection with other believers and the regular reading of God's word together. All to be revealed in episode two, which will be out by the end of the week. But the third point that I want to land on is this. You are filled with the Holy Spirit for God's glory. Acts chapter two. Tongues of fire rested on the people who were present and a great sound of a rushing wind and then this, uh, it says this, they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So now let me read from verse 5. 
And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and they marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not these men Galileans? Meaning from a, from a specific region. And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya joining with the Cyrene, visitors from Rome. We all hear them speaking in our native language. I added that for explanation. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they're all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what could this mean? I don't have time to preach the rest of Acts chapter 2, but Peter, filled with boldness, stands up and preaches one of his best sermons ever. But I just want to point to this, because this is the whole point of joining the dots. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, private baptism before a public manifestation. The public manifestation caused people to go, whoa, what's happening here? This is crazy. And it builds a platform for God to minister in power. But here's what I want you to see. It was the baptism of the people that were together praying that caused people to come running. And I want you to look at verse 12. So they meaning the observers, were all amazed and perplexed. Now get this. When they're amazed, there's a deficiency in the English language to explain what that means. The scripture means, when it says that they were amazed... It was amazement, I'm reading this out, amazement accompanied with terror and trembling to an astonishment full of perplexity, wonder, awe, and joyous surprise. It's a word especially used to show the effect of Christ's miracles, teaching, character, and divine personality on those who see. I mean, come on, you get filled with the Holy Spirit. Life is full of amazement. It's full of joy. It's full of these, these, these conversations that you get to have with God that you, you didn't have before. You get to see things, new things that you never experienced before. You get to have faith like you've never had to see people healed, people set free, people saved. This is the life that God's designed for us. But that's not the point. The point is... The people who saw that lifestyle were filled with awe, were filled with wonder, were filled with trembling in their bones, were filled with an overwhelming amazement at the perplexity of what God might do in them. And it drew them to him. This is the whole point. You are filled with the Holy Spirit for God's glory, that he would be glorified in you and through you so that other people can see your life and be amazed at who God is. It's the whole point. You get to choose if you join the dots. 
the beautiful thing that I love about this picture is it shows us that Christ is the Passover lamb for every single one of us. His blood was shed so that you might, by his blood, be saved from eternity in hell, separation from God, death. That's the point of the Passover lamb for you. Jesus' body being buried in the grave, you being baptized with Jesus is like you being, watch this, this is you, the pink dot, being united with Christ in his death so you can be united with Christ in his resurrection. You've got to join these dots in your life. But it's not just about, as I say, it's not just about getting a bus ticket to heaven. Hey, you know, I'm part of the Christian family. Whichever church it is, I'm part of the family. It's awesome. We've got this cool thing going on where we get together once a week and we sing some songs and a guy yells at us and then we go home and have lunch and talk about it. It's an awesome club. You should join it. Not the point. The baptism of the Holy Spirit comes that you would be transformed on the inside out to live a life that is supernatural. God's super becomes your natural. You live a life you were supposed to live so that others would see you and be in awe and amazement at who God is and what he could do for them. That he would draw others to himself through your lifestyle because you're filled with the Holy Spirit, transformed in a way that makes other people want what you've got. That's the point of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's what's going to lead to the harvest of souls is your life being the message to our town. And it only happens when you say, God, fill me again, baptize me in fire, come like a rushing wind, and change me to who you've made me to be. More and more and more like Jesus. Not once, but ongoing. The question is, how do we get there? Come back to verse 1. They were with one accord together in one place. I want you to stand. We switched to have the music at the end today so that we could have a time where you can pray the words that are on the screen. I say often that these songs, whether you know them or not, become prayers on your lips as you confess things before God. This is the power that I suppose we give over to a songwriter that they would write prayers that we would choose to pray. We're going to um, have two songs. Uh, this first one is uh, a song about, uh, well, they're both about revival. They're both about a fresh wind. first one is about a fresh wind coming that sets us alight. It's the wind of the Holy Spirit. That's what I mean by that. The song's been around for a while, but you may not know it. Well, the words are on the screen. Whether you sing or whether you say it as a prayer, would you pray that the fresh wind of the Holy Spirit would come and breathe on you today?